Last month, my in-laws tested positive for coronavirus. This was while India was being ravaged by the second wave. There were no hospital beds. There was a shortage of medicines. People were dying because they could not get oxygen cylinders. We had been following the horror stories coming out of India, but the horror became real to us when my in-laws got a positive diagnosis. It turned our lives upside down. My husband's sole focus became getting his parents the help they needed. He was spending hours and hours on the phone every day, talking to doctors, cousins, family friends, anyone who could get his parents the care they needed. And while he was taking care of that, I had to take care of him, providing emotional support, taking on more of the day-to-day household stuff. Thankfully, my in-laws recovered and are okay. But these few weeks were physically and emotionally draining for us. I was still working full-time. I had been in my new role for less than six months, so I was also dealing with my self-inflicted pressure of wanting to do really well and prove myself. It is very hard for me to admit, even to myself, that while I wanted to be a good wife and a good daughter-in-law, I also wanted to do well at work. This pressure and conflict, even for a few weeks, did take a toll. Imagine going through this for years after years, because many professionals, especially professional women, assume the responsibility of caregiving for their parents, in-laws, and maybe even other people in the family. And they deal with the physical and the emotional stress that comes with taking care of someone, but also perhaps with this internal conflict and guilt. In today's episode, Ada Chen shares her touching and heartbreaking story of taking care of her dad, who was suffering from Parkinson's disease for several years, while she was also trying to build her career. She shares with us her unseen battle and the hard lessons she learned from this experience. Hi there, you are listening to Unseen Battles, a podcast that brings you behind-the-scenes stories from women leaders. This is your reminder that as you work through your career struggles, you are not alone. I'm your host, Parul Goyal. Every two weeks, I'll bring you raw, honest conversations with a successful leader about a challenge they faced and how it changed them. So, let's get to it. Today, my guest is Ada Chen. Ada is the CEO and founder of Chuan Skincare, an affordable handcrafted skincare line made from all natural ingredients. She was inspired to start her business while she was caregiving for her late dad, who always preferred natural remedies. Prior to founding her business, Ada led product marketing at Atlassian's Confluence Server and Data Center products and built the marketing and sales function out for an early-stage HR tech startup. In her free time, she shares marketing tips on her blog, The Cultivate Method, and co-hosts the Asian Soist Collective podcast. Ada, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You and I are going to talk about caregiving by, while being a full-time professional. You did this for your dad while he was sick, and now you're doing it for a second time with your mom. So can you tell us what happened? Yeah. Um, So right after I I finished college, I moved to San Francisco. I wanted to learn how to build a business and be an entrepreneur, so I dove right into startups. And 
I think as many people know, when you dive into a startup, it's it's not a 40-hour-a-week job. It's, it's very time-intensive. And I hustled my way up at some early-stage companies before I took a corporate tech role uh, for the last few years and kind of worked my way up there. And the whole time I was doing this, um, I was also juggling just caregiving. And caregiving, I think the definition of that, um, it depends on who you ask. But mm-hmm. for me, it meant being emotional support for my dad taking him to his appointments and also like managing his care between his different doctors and specialists and all that, even different healthcare systems. And so he was actually diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, It's a neurodegenerative uh, disorder or disease. He was diagnosed back in 2013, 2014. Um, And my parents actually divorced about a year after that and he moved. So he followed me to the Bay Area in 2015. And even though he didn't live with me because I was living in the city and he was living in the East Bay, um, I was still taking him to his neurologist appointments. And that's like the specialist that manages your Parkinson's specific care. And that was like a whole uh, ordeal in itself because I didn't have a car. And so I would do this whole loop literally to get him from the East Bay to Palo Alto and myself to him and to get him back without a car. Like I think I made multiple circles, multiple times. Um, and it, it would basically be like a half day ordeal to bring him to an appointment. Yeah. And, and at no point in that process of jumping out of work to do these appointments or, um, you know, call doctor's offices. And luckily at that point, they had started to move some of the scheduling online. Um, but at no point did I actually get to explain what I was doing to anybody uh, at work or, or explain what I was kind of going through because I didn't know how to. Yeah. Like, how do you tell your manager on your team, I'm a really hard worker and I'm here to succeed, but I'm also like 23 or 24 and my dad is sick, so I have to take him to the doctors without having them feel bad for you or pity you or feel like you're asking for a special accommodation. Like, I didn't want to be seen as asking for a handout or, or a shortcut. And so I also like, you know, I think as women, when you're looking at succeeding and moving up in the workplace, you don't want anything to count against you. And so what a lot of us do is just we kind of gloss over it and keep moving and we don't talk about it. And so I would say like, oh, I have a doctor's appointment and I'd I'd keep it vague. The whole time I felt like I was drowning or treading water, but there was very few people I could talk to at work about it. Um, Fast forward to 2020. My company at the time didn't allow me to go remote um, because I I had wanted to move to be with my long-term partner who, you know, now we're getting married and all this stuff. Oh, congratulations. Um, Thank you. Uh, But, you know, his job moved, his whole company moved. And so we had to move and they weren't going to let me move. This was right before the pandemic. And so I spent a lot of time working with other teams to see if I could transfer or figure out and at the end, I was like, you know what? Like, if the company doesn't value me enough and the contributions I've made over three years as a high performer and as someone who's constantly recognized for going above and beyond and doing extra work, like, that's fine. I'll leave. And so I left, and that was March of 2020. And I was planning on taking a break, um, maybe a few weeks or a few months to unwind. Obviously, everybody was at home. It was the first time I had ever had a break um, between jobs because. I don't know about you, but when tra- transitioning jobs, I would quit on Friday and start my new job on Monday, <laughs> you know? And so 
I was like, this is the first time I've ever had a break. This is insane mm-hmm. in, in like a decade. And um, about four weeks into that break, my dad uh, was hospitalized and it wasn't for COVID. Um, he had fallen. And that's that's a common thing that happens with Parkinson's patients because you lose motor control. So he had taken a fall. No one could get in touch with him. And because he was living by himself, he was independent. Um, we had to call multiple people to go check on him. And he was taken to the hospital and sent to the ICU and it was touch and go for a bit. But um, he he did recover and he was strong enough to be downgraded to a regular ward okay. and then was discharged to a skilled nursing facility for rehab. And I'm kind of grossly oversimplifying this whole thing because it was a lot of me being on the phone at all mm-hmm. hours of the day, calling different doctors and nurses and figuring out all this time. And uh at that point, I had kind of made peace with like, well, I don't think I'm going to be going back to work for somebody else. I see. Because that's the whole reason I'd moved to the Bay Area in the first place, right? To figure out how to be my own boss and, and start my own business. And so I started by starting a blog uh, to share about my marketing knowledge I'd picked up in tech. And then I also decided to, while I was going through all this thing, this stuff with my dad, um, it was super stressful, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And my skin was not adjusting well to a new climate and to the stress and lack of sleep uh-huh. and perhaps a poor diet. And I was like, well, my dad was always a fan of looking into natural remedies or more natural remedies to reduce the number of uh, medicines he was taking. With Parkinson's, you end up taking medicines every few hours. So you're, you've got the, you have a serious pill case (laughs) wherever you go. And he did, he hated that. He didn't want that. Um, And so I kind of had started to adopt some of those similar philosophies. He had always been kind of entrepreneurial um, himself. And so I was like, well, like, why don't I explore like natural solutions to my skincare problems? And lo and behold, that became like a whole business that I decided to actually run and launch. Um, But I started just to share more about what I was going through, juggling that and also caregiving, because it turned out that like caregiving for someone in a hospital or someone going through rehab when you're not allowed in becomes like a part-time or full-time job where Mm -hmm. you're calling people all the time. You're calling insurance companies, social workers, uh, the the actual care people, all of that. And like you need to buy a fax number and it becomes, it literally does become a job. And I think for those who are working at a company, there's not enough acknowledgement of you might be doing your job nine to five, but you're also fitting in this work. If you're supporting a parent or you're supporting a loved one as their caregiver. And I happened, you know, in my experience to be lucky enough that I spent a lot of time in hospitals as a high school volunteer. So I knew how they worked and I I knew who to ask for. I had a little bit of a leg up. And then I also had a leg up on, I had friends in healthcare Mm -hmm. who could help me answer questions or could answer things. And I have a cousin who's a doctor. So I would, you know, text him certain terms I was Googling and all those people helped me figure out like how to navigate it. But I realized that not everyone had that privilege. And so that's why I started sharing tips on it because like I truly could not imagine having a full-time job and managing that. Like it just, it would have been too much. Um, And I was the primary person, right? Because he was divorced and I was the oldest or I'm the oldest. I see. And uh, yeah, it was was wild. So Ida, I wanted to ask you this. 
you uh, you know when you were living in San Francisco caring for your dad I, I, I you mentioned that you didn't really want to bring up that you had a sick parent you were taking care of and actually I recently learned about this it's called covering like yes. moms also do it right they yeah. don't really make it obvious that they have kids so that people don't see them yeah. differently uh what did did anybody in your team notice that you know you were taking sick days or you were like on the phone like did that ever become an issue i had one i can think of um two examples so mm-hmm. one good one bad um one coworker who wasn't my manager but was a kind of diagonal to me mm-hmm. who i still consider a very good friend um to this day and she happens to now live near me and, and we i think we still have a good relationship mm-hmm. she she did ask me she pulled me aside you know she knew i was frustrated with some things at work she also knew that i was like clearly dipping out you know on some random weekday afternoons mm-hmm. and i would come back online after and she just checked in to see like hey are you okay are you managing this well um and that i think was really helpful and i think if you're in the position of observing that as for someone else on your team or another coworker, like that is super powerful because just acknowledging that you see that they're going through something is, is yeah. helpful for that person. On the other end of the spectrum in my last team, uh, the team manager really just was very disconnected. And to a certain extent that was okay. Cause you know, we're all self-sufficient adults. We got our work done, Yeah, but she actually, uh, did not have the interpersonal skills or the managerial skills to really be equipped to have that conversation. Mm. And so she would almost like do it as kind of like, I need to check this box. HR, HR told me to ask every person, are they doing okay? And then I checked a box and then I was good. I see. And, and I think when you approach it that way, you're almost doing a disservice to your team because they they don't, they can't tell that you actually care or not, or they might actually assume from that interaction that you you don't care. You just care about them getting their work done, um, which makes it, you know, not the best work yeah. environment sometimes. So in the first interaction, you actually felt seen, even mm-hmm. though you hadn't brought it up. Like somebody was actually, uh, you know, they cared enough to see that maybe there was something going on with you. Maybe you needed help. In yeah, the second I- one, it sounded like they just didn't care enough. Like just get the work done was... Basically. I mean, in the first one, I think she noticed that I had a four hour block on my calendar. You know, when you're trying to book a meeting with someone and you pull up their calendar and you're like, that's interesting, like hidden four hour block. Like usually people are like, oh, are they interviewing? That's like the first Mm. assumption. Uh, But she I think she knew that I wasn't interviewing. And so she was like, oh, is there anything wrong there? Um, Yeah. And the second one, it just didn't really seem like she cared. And um, I will say that team like had a very high turnover and it was very, you could tell um, that the team culture wasn't there and that uh, there was perhaps some improvements that could have been done on the people side that would have helped um, people like me or people who have kids who are covering else like, you know, that way to be more present at work and actually like bring their whole life to work and and be more productive in that way, you know, because people know what's going on and they have context. Yeah. You know, I've talked about this in the past. Uh, I, it, a friend of mine at work went through this where she had a newborn baby and her manager basically told her that I know there are expectations from you at home, but there are expectations from you at work as well. And she was like, no there are no way. expectations from me at home. That's my baby. I want to take care of him uh, or her. 
So that yeah, that just the lack of empathy that conveyed was, and she ended up leaving the team obviously after that. Yeah, I mean, if I were her, leave the team too. Too. Yeah, that's yeah. I think people don't stop to think about it enough. Like, and it's not even like you have to stop and and have a whole thirty minute conversation with somebody about it. It's literally the acknowledgement and even like 30 seconds of like is there anything else I could do for you is there a are you do you think you can still make these deadlines or do we need to adjust those for you like there are so many techniques that managers can use to better support people and I think also on the on the flip side if you are somebody who's managing caregiving whether it's for a child or a parent or another loved one or or someone in your community the best thing that you can do is to actually say that you need that time yeah so that it's not suspicious to people and they understand why you're asking for it and why it's important and the worst thing they could do is say like no sorry and in which case you're like well clarity yeah yeah you have clarity on what their values are and what their priorities are but um I think if you do actually say that and ask for help you would be surprised I think most of us are scared of doing it but I think you'd be surprised at what actually comes out of that when you do bring it up Yeah, so Ada, you know, it sounded like uh, you were handling a lot at that time, Uh, you know, with your day job. uh, Logistically, doctor's offices are also open during the day, right? And emotionally, with your dad being sick, what did that look like for you? Like, did you have to work late in the evenings? Emotionally, how did you handle the stress of keeping both of these things going? It was, so I don't have children, but I imagine from the friends I do talk to who have children, it is kind of similar where you shift your work around. So if I had to be out during the day, I would take him back, make sure that we had dinner together, maybe like check in on an extended family. And then I would go home and get home at like nine or 10. And then I would sign on for a few hours and do more work to make sure I was there. Or if I had enough time to prep beforehand, I would be working late like two or three nights before to make sure that I could successfully take off that afternoon to do all the things I needed to do for caregiving. Um, Once I started my own business, was working on my own thing, obviously my schedule is a little more flexible, but because of COVID, I couldn't actually go physically into places. So it was, uh, I think it was a little more different that way, balancing it in which I had to spend a lot of time proactively like reaching out and kind of almost spending time to recharge in between things that I would do because you get frustrated. Like if I would call for his uh, nurse's station, so the nurses specifically on his room when he was discharged to the rehab facility. And when he was discharged, he he really couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, he was down for so long and he was he had regressed basically a lot of – um, he had basically progressed to a very late stage of Parkinson's where he Mm. couldn't walk, talk, eat, do things by himself. He was in rehab to kind of relearn those motor skills and get him to a point where he could go home and have support from the care team at home without being a nursing facility because he really didn't want that. And, and, you know, him being in there, me trying to reach those people, like you said, they work Monday Mm. to Friday, like nine to six, and they have like a hundred patients. So trying to track them down and make sure they're talking about the right patient and the right care plan and all that is, it's a lot of documentation and a lot of stuff. And so a lot of the times I would go through like an hour of tracking someone down or talking to them on the phone, taking notes, asking questions. And then I would need to have like 
two hours, so like twice as long, not doing it so that I could breathe and feel like I had a life outside of just doing that. And I think very early on, I realized that I needed to kind of balance it out that way. And it helped. It definitely helped. I think if you go in too far, too deep and too quickly, like you just run the risk of burning yourself out and caregiver burnout is like really, it's a problem and it's very real. I think we also see compassion fatigue in the medical profession too. And so you combine all those factors, like it's just a very stressful place to be in. Yeah. No, I'm glad you realized that, that, you know, you were in the position, you were the only one, it sounds like, who was taking care of your dad. And then if you got to a point where you were fatigued, you couldn't do it, it was overwhelming, then there would be nobody. So just having that understanding and making time for self-care sounded like it was super important. Yeah. I mean, I have to give, I have a younger sister, I have to give mm-hmm. her credit. Um, but at the time she was working a high stress job um, and she was across the country, she was in New York. And so a lot of the, because I had previously been in the Bay Area, I was listed as his contact on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was also the oldest, so they would go to me first. They had my phone number. So I would get most of the stuff and then I would funnel stuff to her as well, which was helpful. So if you happen to have siblings or you happen to have other people you can split the work with, I highly recommend figuring that out and doing some of that to minimize the burnout and to take care of yourself. But um, I think it was, she really did step up and take on a lot of the work, um, you know, near the end of his life. So he passed in January from COVID. And in the last few weeks, she was actually with me. She was visiting with me. And so when I we got the call that he had tested positive mm-hmm. a week before he was supposed to get the vaccine. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, – I don't think I'm over that one yet. But uh, it, it was so close and we had been managing. I had been on the phone with the nurse in charge of COVID protocols at the facility every week, every almost more frequently than a week. Um, for months and and then that happened and when the doctors called and said you know he we don't think he's going to make it we need to send him to the hospital she happened to still be here with me which I think was really helpful um like I wouldn't have survived that if she hadn't been here and when we finally got there to say goodbye uh from outside the window and, and take care of his stuff like having her there I think also was super helpful in terms of just Having, you know, the only other person with this relationship to him be there with me during it, but also for splitting up the work, like the phone calls of chasing things down and administrative tasks like that is the administrative side of caregiving and managing care for someone and managing end of life stuff is is a lot. There is a lot of phone calling and mail that you do, yeah, which is surprising. um, And I don't think people actually know about it. You know, uh, you know, right now, the second wave of COVID in India is really bad. Yeah. Both my in-laws got COVID oh uh, last month. And we, you know, we live in the US, they live yeah. in India. And I kind of saw a little bit of what you went through, my husband went through, right? All of like starting our early morning and our late night, he would be just on the phone calling doctors, looking for medicine, looking for for like hospital beds. And there's this feeling of helplessness, right? Yeah. There's this only you so can only much do you so can much. Do. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're, I don't know, I, I do know the situation in India is really bad. And I think I've seen what I've seen from social media yeah. is that people on the ground there are trying to advocate as much as they can. And being a healthcare advocate for somebody is also part of caregiving. And it's 
I, having only done it in the U.S., it's extremely hard here because you have the insurance hoops to jump through. You have multiple doctors and so many doctors have so many patients and nurses as well. And to really advocate for somebody's care, like we took a week before he was discharged from the hospital to talk about putting in a peg tube or a G-tube. That's a feeding tube because he could no longer feed himself. And if he chewed or or ate something, he had a high risk of aspiration. So food going down the wrong tube. Mm. And that is that um, and falls are like the top reasons Mm -hmm. that Parkinson's patients pass away. It's not from Parkinson's. It's from the Mm -hmm. other things that are caused. And so that was a concern, but nobody was educating us and they were just asking us to make a decision. And so we had to chase them for information, ask questions for a week before we felt comfortable saying yes to actually having that done. Um, And I think for most people, they kind of just go along with it and they say like, yeah, okay, the doctor said this, I'll do this. But really like, I would challenge most, uh, especially like smart, ambitious women, like and women of color, to challenge your healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, challenge what someone says to you in healthcare, because you can always advocate for yourself or advocate for more, yeah. and you are the best advocate for yourself or whoever you're taking care of, not necessarily the other person. Like you want to trust them and trust they're doing their yeah. job, but at the end of the day, like you are the person who can advocate for whatever you need. The more you talk, Ada, the more I feel like uh, if I have a kid, they're going to become a doctor. I'm going to be the kind of parent who says, you go to medical school. You say that, and then I talk to my friends who are doctors, and I was like, do your parents listen to you? And they're like, no. That's also true. That is my parents do not listen to me. In whatever my little area of expertise, they do not listen to me. I even have a, our very good family friend is now a financial advisor, and Part of end of life, unfortunately, is kind of going through all that stuff. And um, we asked him, like, we've we've known your parents our whole lives. How, do they have all this stuff figured out? And he was like, I'm still working on this. <laughs> I think so it applies to like any field. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But Ada, that was my last question to you. You know, what advice would you have for somebody who is in this difficult position as you were? Or might find, I think most of us would find ourselves in similar position, you know, in in a few years. What advice would you have for them? Oh, I think so many people are are finding themselves in a similar position or witnessing people go through it like you did as well. Uh, I I posted about it on LinkedIn and it like went viral and I wasn't expecting it because, you know, it's LinkedIn and I was talking about not work and uh, like tangential work, I guess. And so I think there are a few things that I would have done differently or I know better now. And I think if you are a if you're in a similar position to me, like you're a caregiver, there are a few things that you should start doing research on, which is like, first of all, check your company's policy. If you're at a bigger company, they definitely have a caregiving policy or resources like an employee assistant pro assistance program, EAP, or bereavement leave documents, and they just don't tend to share them widely, but in order to take advantage of them, you need to know about them and you need to be able to talk about them with your manager. If you're at a smaller company like a startup, they may not have a policy. My first two startups did not have any policy like that. They didn't even have a maternity leave policy. Like They were making it up as they went along. So you have to understand that you might be the first one. You might be making it up as you go along, but 
you need to be able to surface that you need that benefit in order to actually use it so that it's you don't you're not coming from a place of like they're going to hold this against me when I try to go for my next promotion like yeah. they are not it is a it is a flat out benefit that most companies should have and should have figured out um also, I think you have to ask for help and ask for what you need, especially if it is that time off or an adjusted schedule. And when you're asking, like, be specific and explain it and provide as much or as little context as you want to without making it seem sketchy. I think all of us know when it's su- when it's super vague, people yeah. are like, well, are you interviewing? Are you working on something else? Something like that. And that sucks. But you might have to also explain things to rationalize it to a manager or an executive team that you're reporting to like I need to go take care of this but hi here's how I'm also still performing on these things I'm responsible for at work or even over advocating for yourself on that front Um, the specific words that I like to use now are like hi manager so and so you know in addition to my work here at company x i am also a caregiver for my parent aunt uncle cousin whatever and they have additional needs i need to support and i need to take them to a doctor's appointment a social security administration visit whatever it is on this day at this time and so i'm going to be offline for this many hours or this time i'm very confident I can get my work done around this, but I wanted to let you know ahead of time so yeah. you can plan ahead or ask me whatever questions you need to ask. And I found that that just two, three sentences has helped me have more productive conversations with managers. And also as somebody who talks to you know friends who are managers, it helps me give them the context of like, if somebody comes to you with this problem, here's how you should yeah. actually handle it. Um, and like- like I said, share as much or as little as you want. I think a good manager will understand that if you're a high performer and you're ambitious, you will be getting your work done. This is not an excuse to slack off. And these tends, these situations tend to highlight how much trust or lack of trust there might be in a workplace or yeah. a work culture. Um, and the other thing I would say is like, start to factor in how caregiving affects the other parts of your life. Like I never got to a point where it was time tracking everything, but it is a job. It takes time and energy. It can stress you out. You don't want to burn out. And so you need to be able to manage it. So you should either be able to quantify it or, or somehow wrap your head around how much time and energy you're spending on it so that you know how much time and energy you're drawing away from your work or your personal life or other stuff. And if you need additional support like therapy or or someone to talk to, you can and you should be able to get it. Um, I think if you have older parents uh, or you are thinking about being a parent, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I there is a list. There's a basic list of documents I think everybody should have prepared, even if you are younger, right? Yeah. And it's an advanced directive, which also can include a POST, a P-O-L-S-T form, which is portable medical orders. So that just says like, If someone's incapacitated, what are their wishes? Like in case they can't make the call themselves. Some families are are okay with this being very loose and kind of just talking about it with each other. But it can be beneficial to have it in writing and documented, you know, in case there's multiple people making decisions, talking about it with each other. So there's the advanced directive. There's the power of attorney, which there's different types of power of attorney, but it basically allows you as a caregiver or designated party to act as an agent on the person's behalf. So if you need to help them pay their bills while they're in the hospital or um, handle their apartment, you can do so legally. Um, And again, not a lawyer, just highly recommend you look into these. 
actually super straightforward now. There are a lot of templates online and straightforward things you can look at for advanced directives, power of attorney, wills as well. Will is like the big one we all think about and it's important, um, but it is it can be a scary process because I think when people think about wills, you think uh, you're going to, you, you know, there's a fear you're of You're physio mortality, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. And it is, it is scary, but I think it's, it's really beneficial to talk about. Also, you know, especially having parents who came here from Taiwan and having a lot of friends who are immigrants or who have immigrant parents, like wills are how uh, people build generational wealth. And so thinking about it from that perspective, I think gives you a different angle of less of mortality, but like more of how can I pass this on to the next generation? I worked so hard for it, right? Yeah. And, and that framing sometimes does, I think, help bridge that gap in the conversation. Um, and other than that, it's like, have a list of what to do in case of emergency. I have a friend whose mom has that taped in an envelope on the wall and it says, in case of emergency, open this. Yeah. yeah. And, and you want to just make sure that um, if you're a caregiver, you're not guessing what your loved one wants, right? And you're not guessing, do they want to be buried or cremated? Do they want a casket? Do they want to earn that's shaped like a box or like a vase? <laughs> Yeah. it's so stressful to to think yeah. about it and to pick and so my biggest thing is if you can not make anyone guess your wishes if you're a parent or if you're a caregiver and you're talking to your parents like make sure your parents know how much work you're going to have to do to guess about their wishes if they don't write it down or they don't figure it out and share it with you they have to share it with you to to make it happen right and so just don't make anyone guess. Save them the time. Save them the energy. And the assumption I think about caregiving is when you think about someone in my position, right, whose parents came here for grad school and then stayed here for the rest of their adult lives and worked, the assumption is oftentimes that we will take care of them yeah. or um, our community, you know, the generational thing, well, you'll take care of them. And what we fail to realize is that when we do that, we put the caregiving work mostly on women yeah. and women of color mostly. And that prevents us from moving up in the business world, right? You end up doing things like covering and making excuses at work so that people don't know and that holds you back. And so then you'd see less of us actually breaking that glass ceiling, right? And actually achieving what we want to achieve as professionals, but also balancing our own like family needs and the important things that we care about. So Ada, I know uh, your dad had a, a very natural approach towards healthcare, and that inspired you to start your company, which you named after him as I well. Did, yeah. So tell us about your your skincare company, the products. How can our audiences find them? Yeah. So my skincare company is called Chuan Skincare. That's C H U A N. Chuan is uh, or was my dad's middle name. And the character for it in Chinese, it, it means stream, a stream of water. So I focus on really making affordable and handcrafted skincare from all natural ingredients. Because like I said, he was into more natural solutions. I do think, you know, chemicals are wonderful and they can do great things for your skin, but not all of us want to be using all chemicals all the time. We might want to balance it if you have sensitive skin or acne prone skin, or you're dealing with anti-aging, like whatever you're dealing with, I think most people want to achieve some sort of balance. And that's kind of what I'm going for. Um, I launched with one clay mask, which was to help clear up my skin when I was super stressed. And I recently launched a powder cleanser, which is 
a more gentle way of cleansing your skin, gently cleaning it on a daily basis. And I'm working on things like facial oils and basically natural alternatives you can work into your existing beauty routine that are just as effective and slightly gentler and easier on your skin. So you don't have to be thinking so hard about all of these products that you're putting on and how do they work together and all of that. And for me, some of it did come from working in tech for so long. Mm -hmm. Uh, My last company really prioritized product and R&D and most of our our company spend was in R&D and that whole engineering department. And that made for really strong products and that almost sold themselves. And I think I'm, I'm approaching it similarly where uh, most beauty brands and skincare brands want to spend a lot on marketing and then spend a very small fraction of their revenue on uh, actual R&D and product development. And so I'm taking that approach that I learned in the tech world, which is to reverse it and spend all my time and money on R&D and effective products so that hopefully they do actually start to sell themselves for people who are interested in them and want to learn more about natural beauty and natural skincare and get more into that world as they are you know, navigating whatever life challenges are and whatever they have at work. I don't think beauty and skincare, which can impact your confidence at work, by the way, should be something that is a time suck. I think it should be a value add to everything else that you're doing. And how can, uh, how, where can our audience find these products? I know you said Instagram, you have a strong presence on. (laughs) Is that the way? Um, Instagram, you can follow me at Chuan Skincare. I'm also on TikTok and Pinterest. My website is chuanskincare.com, so C-H-U-A-N Skincare. I have a monthly newsletter that I try to send out just like free skincare tips Uh because I think there's a lot that I've learned personally getting into the industry that we don't talk about enough. So I am all about sharing information and talking about things and being transparent. So Follow on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest if you're on there. Sign up for the email newsletter. Um, And, you know, just I think having a little bit more knowledge uh, Mm -hmm. as an educated consumer helps all of us um, not only, you know, get the most out of our products and and our money, but also be uh, more educated in general about things that might not be related to what we do from a nine to five. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. No, and I'll make sure I include all of these resources Uh, in the episode notes, even for the um, end of life planning, you had some books you recommended. I'll make sure I include them. Yeah, there's a ton of books, ton of resources. If you're not there yet, I highly recommend checking them out. I checked them out years before we were there. And I am so grateful that I did because that really set me up to have productive conversations with not only my parents, but also doctors, nurses, uh, other caregivers as well. And so I'm I'm a huge fan of becoming educated about those topics, starting to talk about them more and really normalizing it, right? Yeah. So that you aren't in a position like I was or in a position like many people are where you're scrambling and stressed out and freaking out at the last minute when there's so much on the line and you do really just want to enjoy your time with your loved one. But Ada, thank you so much for sharing your unseen battle with us. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Also, help me spread the word by sharing the episode with a friend you think would like it.